number 862. 862. <clears throat> with hearts and with miles, there stands a great throne in the presence of Jesus and sing this new song unto him who hath loved us and washed us from sin unto him be the glory forever Amen. All these ones were sinners defiled in His sight. Now arrayed in pure garments, in praise they I claim the blood. 
Good evening, everyone. We're on day three, winding down day three, and uh, there's been a lot to absorb. I'm sure some of you are heads are either spinning or you've. Uh, uh, I hope you haven't started tuning everything out yet, because this has been some pretty, in, some uh, quite some some week we've had here. Some uh, very uh, uh, probing messages, very to-the-point speaking here. We, I uh, tried my best not to beat around the bush as we were talking about those sensitive issues. Uh, that's the only way I know how to deal with stuff. We, 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 come, we come to you with God's Word 
God's truth and the human experience and the human condition and the human uh, struggle, not only with sin, but with learning what it means to be accepted of Him and, and to become and to be His child and to know that we are loved and, and how He wants us to develop and grow as His children. That's not always easy. Sometimes we, I, I get in contact with Christians, I, with young people even, that can embrace the, the Father's love and, that can, and, and that accept His truth for what it is. And others just struggle, struggle, struggle. They can't, they can't grasp it. They can't internalize it. They can't, be, uh, they can't make it their own. And uh, I realize it's not the Father's fault. It's never the Father's fault. God has given us all things we need for life and godliness. God has showered us with his word, with his blessings, with his, uh, with his teachings, and there is just no way he will, you know, there's just no way that any one of us can say, well, God's, God, hasn't, uh, God hasn't visited me, God hasn't uh, taught me. Yes, he has. So we've covered the first three soils extensively. Uh, we've heard about decisions, about freedom in Christ. You've heard about sin and the fear of God. Uh, today you heard also about the armor of God. So there's been meat. You've heard sufficient meat. And uh, I think there's enough meat there to crack even the hardest shells. But that's my opinion. I'm not, I don't know your hearts. I don't know your, uh, all of your journeys. I don't know your past. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know all your, all your hang-ups and hang-outs and, uh, and, uh, and your upbringing. All of it has contributed somewhat to who you are today. We've seen how Jesus quoted Isaiah in hardening people's hearts who continually reject the Word of God. We've heard truth and the gospel and what was paid for our salvation and how God sent gave His Son to pay a ransom for mankind. And so there has been words, there has been a lot been said and a lot been uh, out put on your plate, young people, as we're mainly ministering to you, although there's a there's hundreds uh, tuning in to, uh, to hear these messages. But in, 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 in essence, I can't speak to a camera. I can only speak to people. So you're, my, you're the audience. You are the ones I am ministering to. Even though others may be blessed or challenged by it, I'm speaking to you. And the young people, I've, uh, the Lord spoke to my heart this morning that uh, some of those teachings that you've gotten so far, maybe it's... it's uh, I just felt I should change direction with my messages. And so today I've been working on another, uh, another theme that the Lord laid on my heart early this morning. Early this morning when I got up and went to school to, to, to prepare today's message, I just felt him saying to me, you need to change direction here. These young people have heard the gospel now. They've heard about sin. You've heard about hellfire. You've heard about 
uh, hardened hearts and weeds and stony hearts. And you've heard all this now. And making decisions. And the fear of God. That is nothing new now. You've heard all that. And so I've moved away, moved to, and I'm taking today's message, this evening's message in another direction. And I've titled the message, Receiving the Father's Love. Receiving the Father's Love. Let's pray. Holy Father, as we are gathered here this evening in the precious name of your Son, I pray, Father, that you give us a divine unction and a divine word for a heart that may need it at this hour, whether it's one or twenty or fifty. Lord, you know each heart and you know why you have, uh, why, why this message is coming forth today. You know each and every one in this room. And Lord, there is nothing that is too hard for you. There is no, there is no heart that can't be touched by the love of God. There is no heart that can't be touched by your grace and your mercy, Heavenly Father. And so we pray that as the words come forth, Lord, may they be your words. May they not be mingled with man's wisdom, but may they be the, the very heart of our King and our Savior, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to, uh, to minister into the future generation, into the lives that will one day be moms and dads, lives that we one day um, be uh, church elders and church leaders and, and, and youth leaders and teachers and who knows what else. And Father, as you are bringing these young people under the yoke of your son Jesus, Heavenly Father, I pray that, you, that they allow you into every recess of their heart so that you can do a thorough work in them to, to, to bring forth the beauty that was intended from a human life from the very beginning. So we lean on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Romans for introduction here. To Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. Receiving the Father's love. We know from the scriptures, you, we, you know, there are so many songs written on God's love. Amen. We can sing, we've sung, we've sung at least a dozen here so far. And how he poured his love out for us. And how he gave us so much. And what he's done. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It reaches beyond the highest star. It reaches to the deepest hell. There, the love, if we would ink the ocean, could, could the ocean fill? How does it go? And we're, if, we're the, if the ocean were ink and the sky were a, a, a parchment, uh, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. I can't say it any better than that. I, I can't. Nor could the scroll contain the whole. And John, at the end of his gospel, he said, and so much more could be read up, said about Jesus that the, the world's books could not contain it. I believe that. But I'm limited I'm a human being that's broken, that has been mended and healed by Jesus Christ. And, so, and, and we are limited. And Paul himself, he tried to articulate God's love. He tried to articulate it. But when he got an encounter with what the real love of God is, he said, I has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him in return. 
But in order for us to love him back in return, we need to learn and we need to know how, what it means to receive the Father's love. And so turn to uh, chapter 5 of Romans. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Look at the maturity here. Also, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. The NIV says, hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, which is given to us. It has been shed abroad. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the saints. For the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended. NIV says, God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing word the Apostle Paul gives us here. He says, God demonstrated his love. Where did God demonstrate his love? In the Old Testament, God could have said, I love you. And he said, he loves you. He said to Israel many times that he loves them. He said a few times that he was a father to them. Not too many times. We find the imagery of the father in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, God said he loved them. And he, uh, but, but it was hard for God to, because God is a, is a spirit being. As God is a spirit. And they that worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. So they could not see what love looked like. But God sent his son to demonstrate what love looks like. And so Jesus demonstrated not only the love of God in his 33 years, in his compassion and the way he dealt with everyone, but the greatest demonstration came of his love when he hung his son on Calvary, on the cross. As it says here, but God commended his love towards us, not towards his son. He demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And verse 6, when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And there's, those two concepts here are very straightforward and simple. For you to receive the Father's love, you only need one qualification. And what is it? Be a sinner. Be ungodly. Now that's, ooh, that, that's kind of shocking. But that's what it says here. Christ died for the ungodly. And God sent his son, demonstrating his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not only died, he also rose again to give us eternal life. So God poured out his wrath on his son so that he doesn't need to pour it out on us. 
That was God's demonstration of his love. But so many of, of God's people, so many people don't know, can't, can't receive that, can't know it. But yet many millions do, those that first uh, at conversion. So there's two kinds of love here. The, love, the first love to, um, to be saved as a wicked sinner, to be uh, cleansed. The second love is to, to learn to embrace his love as a, as a father. And, and, and those two concepts, even though they're separate, they kind of follow along the same line. And so I'm asking questions here this, this evening. Are there circumstances in your life that you wish wasn't there? Mentally answer your question, do those questions. Is there a person in your life that you wish maybe you could, could see or do things differently? Does God sometimes feel far away and unfeeling towards you? Why is God allowing a loved one of mine to suffer, maybe have health condition, maybe even cancer or, or greater uh, conditions that, that make us wonder where God is? Why doesn't God cleanse me? I feel nothing. I'm defeated, and yet I've repented many times for my sin, and yet I feel defeated. Does it feel like I've done, I've done too many bad things that I can't even see how God can love me? Mentally, put yourself into these, into these statements and questions. Does the heavens feel like brass in my life and I can't connect to God? I can't sense his presence in my life? Did God deal a bad hand to me? Did God give me a bad hand? If I would have been somebody else, life would be different for me. God shortchanged me. He cares for others, but he doesn't care for me. Are these some of your accusing words? If God would love me, I wouldn't be feeling this way. How can this God that says he loves me so much that he died for me now seem to turn his back on me and be so indifferent to my cries and my pain that I'm feeling in my life? Are these some of your complaints and questions? If you, if you fall in any one of those categories, if you can identify with these, you're not alone. The people of God and people everywhere have struggled with those questions. Just a month ago, I unloaded a guy bringing fuel here for, uh, unloaded fuel at one of our tanks here. And, and uh, I had a little conversation with him and I thought I would drop a seed about God and maybe make him think, maybe make him uh, just pattern his thinking towards the kingdom of God. And maybe I just wanted to see where, he, where he's at. And so I started a conversation with him about God's love and about his, his, uh, his goodness and his, his love for mankind, even though we're, we're sinful creatures. And he said, ah, no, no, if God were a God of love. And this guy was a happy-go-lucky guy. He was jolly, but he made peace with the fact that there is no God. He just made peace with it. He said, if God was a God of love, he wouldn't have put my wife through nine years of hell. Nine years, my wife's been battling cancer, or did he say 15? If God is the God of love, then this won't have happened to her. 
No, he said, just, and, and I could see the conversation was over. He did not want to talk about God. That's, it, just, it just breaks my heart when, when you see people are so cold. And, you, and, and, it, and God's people who are Christians wrestle with these questions. Amen? They do. They wrestle with those questions. And Christians have wrestled with those questions for two millennia. Whether it's sickness or loss or relationships. Whether it's business, finance, world affairs. We know someone, and that's someone way maybe me or you, that's struggling with some of those things and trying to make sense of them. Some are defeated by repetitive sins, trapped by an endless cycle of addictions and, and, and trying to, to, to climb out of a rat hole and, and, and keep sliding in and bondages and they can't see a loving father in their realm of experience. But why does God say here, God commended his love towards us? Many, many of God's people say they know in their heads that God loves them. But it hasn't percolated down to their hearts. And, it's came, and it seems like it's hard to experience it down deep in our innermost recess that God loves them. The gap between the head and the heart is like, is really wide. You know, they, they say that's, that's the, the longest 18 inches in the world is the gap between the head and the heart. It seems very wide. And how can that gap be bridged? We can, we can quote verse after verse. Jesus said in John 16, 27 to his disciples, The Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you because you've loved me. John three sixteen, the universal word of love. For God so loved the world that he demonstrated it by giving us his son. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3, The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying... That's Jeremiah. This is the Lamentation prophet. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And we don't interpret it that way. We, we're not used to interpreting God's love that way. Where he says, with loving kindness I have drawn thee. In 1 John 4, 8, John says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is Love. In this was manifested. In what? In this. Towards us. What was manifested? The love of God towards us. Because God sent his only begotten son into the world. That we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us. And sent us son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this is how we as enemies were reconciled to him. So young people, brothers and sisters, we serve a God who has done all he can possibly do without interfering with our free will to show us that he loves us. He's built us a mansion. He's given us eternal life. He's made us millionaires. And he's holding out a wad, spiritually speaking, a million dollars. If we don't reach out and receive it, we never know. We never have it. And many people struggle with that concept. 
He did everything. God put Jesus on the cross, as I said at the beginning here, allowing his son to shed his blood, become the ransom for sin, become the payment for sin, and pay the price for sin. Then he raised him from the dead to sit on his own right hand to be an intercessor for the saints. Died for the sinners, rose for the saints. And we have a complete package in Jesus Christ. Complete. And you are complete in him. But so many know this and can't receive it. So many think he doesn't care. He's far away. They can't feel him. They can only... And, and, and he's only a God who wants to, who just keeps beating them up. He keeps beating them up. He keeps, he, he keeps being far away from them. And the fact of the matter is, God does not beat us up. God does not want to beat us up. God does, has no plans and intention to beat his children up. God is wanting to draw his children unto himself. And then he wants to grow his children unto himself. And so many times we interpret it as he's out to get us. We don't believe and therefore we don't receive. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John 13 verse 1. We're just going to read 13. This is where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And here we get a beautiful word. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own wherein, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. All twelve disciples were gathered there in front of him and with him. And it says, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Christ loved his disciples and he loved them to the end. So much that he gave himself for them. But not every one of his disciples received his love. And not every one of his disciples received his love equally. If you turn with me to verse 23 of this chapter, it says... Here's a, here's a man who received Jesus' love. Now, well, there Jesus said, he was very sad. In verse 21, when Jesus had just said, he was very troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. You see, Ju Judas was here. He was, Ju Jesus washed Judas' feet. He had done everything he did with, with all the others. We had Peter in there, the, you know, that impulsive Peter who wanted to be a big shot who had much, a lot of ego. We had um, Thomas, the doubting Thomas there. We had all these other disciples. But then we have John. And in verse 23 it says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now tell me, why did John receive love? John received more of Jesus' love than the other disciples. John was such a puppy. He was leaning on Jesus' bosom. He had no ulterior motive. He had no agenda. He didn't want to, like Peter, uh, challenge Jesus on everything. You know, never shall you wash my feet. He wasn't going to... to uh, he just received 
Jesus' love. Now, as a parent, I understand what that means. As a father, fathers and mothers love, usually love their children equally. I mean, they should at least. Good parents should love their children equally. But there are some children in a family that receive more love than others. And it's usually not the, one, not the best ones. Sometimes not the best one. It's just more, they're more lovable. They're not always fighting the parent. They're not always, you know, sometimes the parents love the fighting ones the most. The ones that resist them the most. But those that resist them don't receive the most love. It's sometimes the lovey-dovey ones that, you know, might be lazy. But love, that receive more of the parents' love. And so John here received all of Jesus' love. He received it because he, he, just, he just embraced Jesus. He just embraced his love. And you can tell throughout his book that Jesus loved him. And John received that love. That's very challenging. Judas, he didn't receive any love. <coughs> Even though Jesus loved him equally. Because Judas had an ulterior agenda. Ended up hanging himself. Instead of embracing Jesus' love. And so the only way I can sometimes... The only way we can sometimes um, draw best illustrations is to use earthly, earthly examples. And so the best way is, is to use allegories or... Or examples from real life. And, if you, and you and I all have parents. You all have parents. Most of you have a dad. And, the, and sometimes the dad forms an image of God to a young person. Maybe all the time. The dad forms a concept in a child's mind of who God is. Most people don't understand fully the Father's heart and love because they reference from their earthly fathers. They may have had an abusive father, an authoritarian father, a my way or the highway father, and so to them, the Heavenly Father is a cruel taskmaster. And a, 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 one, a God, a Father who's always out to get them. He is, he is unyielding, he's unmovable, and he never shows love, just beating you up. If a father is like this to his children, the children have a concept of God that follows along those lines. Or maybe there are some children have had a deadbeat dead or an absent father. And so fatherhood is a foreign concept to them. They may have grown up with a permissive father or a weakling of a father. And so the father is someone who lets them get away with anything. He has no boundaries. His arm can be twisted and he doesn't really care if we sin. That concept gets carried over to fatherhood, to, to our, our heavenly father. And when that concept is carried over to the Heavenly Father, God has to take His children through a journey till they come to a place where they know what it means to receive 
the father's love. They may only have known a father who never showed them love or affection. Coming for the Anabaptists are, I think that's a signature of the Anabaptists. They don't know how to show affection. All they know is discipline. I had to learn how to show affection to my children. It wasn't in me. Comes when our, 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 our parents loved us, but they had difficulty showing it to us. I know my dad loved me. I know my mom loves me. That's not the point. But from the Anabaptist heritage culture, there was this, 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 this tendency to hold back affection. And so to them, the father's love is missing. <coughs> and they think the heavenly father is not affectionate. So it's very hard for them to receive the father's love. They may have had a father who never encouraged or praised them. And so to them, the father is a stern army sergeant who demands only nothing short of perfection. They may have had a father who abused their mother. And so God to them is cruel and heartless, a cosmological abuser who enjoys tormenting his subjects. And you know there's people who actually think God is like that? There's actually people who grow up thinking God is like that? Because they formed a concept from their, from their, their, their upbringing. Maybe there's a father who only pursued his own interests and his own pleasures. And so God to them is a distant father. Maybe interested in others, definitely not interested in me. I don't matter to him. Maybe they've had a father who spoiled them rotten, gave them everything they wanted, when they wanted it. And so God to them is a cosmological Santa Claus who thinks he's, his father's just going to give me everything. He's going to give me the kingdom. He's going to bless me with a good life. If God would bless us with, a, with, with everything we want, we would destroy our lives in a heartbeat. But God is a good father. He wants to give us the kingdom, but he wants us to grow and be mature. Maturity is what he's after. Or maybe he was a father they could manipulate. So if God is someone to them, they can take a fight up with or twist his arm. At any rate, the perception of the Father has radically shaped their perception of God. And God is only a bigger version of their dead. And, and that's a, that's a, that is a sobering cry to dads. And young men, you want to become dads. You better know the love of the Father. Amen. Otherwise you will project that on the next generation. And we dads, we need to learn our, the way we are, carries a lot of weight down into the next generation. And sometimes people struggle for years with the concept of the father's love. And so they can't even receive it. I had a girl once say to me, uh, how right, girl, watch me kiss and smother my little daughter. And um, she said, when I see you do that, it feels weird. It feels weird to watch a man do that. I've never seen a man in my life do that. That's so tragic. How can a child like that 
embrace the Father's love? How can they? And even a girl, especially girls, they need, if they don't embrace a Father's love, if they don't have a Father's love, they will look for it in a guy. And if a man isn't there, if a father isn't there, it's those girls who sometimes, so many times, go astray and go into all kinds of sin and wickedness because they're looking for a love they never had. That's the truth. And so receiving the Father's love is not only difficult, it's foreign to them. They don't even know what love is. But our Father is not like a human Father. The best Father on this earth, and that includes me, we're all broken. The best Father on earth still falls short. My children will say I'm the best Father. Right? But I fail so often. I am humbled so often at how, how short I fall as a, as, a, as a picture of a father. But I, can, I watch it in my own family, how security is built in a child's life when you pour your love onto them. Let's turn to the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. There's two sons. We know the story, so I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to look at it a little bit here. Luke 15. A certain man had two sons. Verse 11. And the younger said to their father, Father, give me the portion of goods that followed to me and divided, and he divided unto them his living. Wow. Did you just hear what I read here? No, you didn't. So I'm going to read it again. The younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Just like that. What kind of a dad is that? We would have gone to all kinds of counselors. We would, have, we would have tried to stop him from doing that, you know. But the father let his son have his way. Because there's a point in our lives, brothers and sisters... This is for the dads now. There's a point in your, your son's and your daughter's life. Listen carefully. Dads, those of you watching in as well. There's a point where you no longer can control your sons and your daughters. And you have to give them to God. And if you don't give them to God, you're going to face a far bigger problem. You've got to give your sons and your daughters to the Lord. You have your chance from the time they're born to the time they're about 12 years old to shape them. After that, you pretty much, you're done. What you have done there is done. If you've developed a good relationship with them, that's going to carry over. It's not that it's lost cause after that. It just becomes harder. It just becomes more difficult. And so does the father gave the son everything and he took off. And we know what the story says. The, he... He wasted his goods on harlots and prostitutes and a riotous living, just like every normal young person normal does. 
And then the famine came in the land and he aligned himself to a citizen in the country. And with a fan, verse 16, filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and, they didn't, and, and the people didn't even give him that. They didn't even allow him to eat swine food. He was so far down and out. This is what God sometimes will allow a son to go. He will allow you to go down, 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 down till there's no more place left to go. And when he came to himself, verse 17, he came to himself and he realized that he had walked away from his father. He realized what he had with his father. He realized what it was like to be in his father's embrace. He realized what it was like to work on, to be under his father's roof. That works spiritually. Brothers, sisters, after he had wasted his life, and we can put that to a Christian, and so he goes back to the father. He repents. He feels sorry. He's smitten by sin, and he goes back to his father. And the father sees him from afar. He runs out and meets him. And it says, verse 20, his father saw him a great way off and he had compassion on him and ran and fell at his neck and kissed him. The father didn't come bring him back and say, okay, we're going to first do a blood test on you and then we're going to to check and see if, you're, if you've really repented. We'll put you six months probation and uh, we'll put you out with the cattle in the field or in the, in the, in the corner uh, at the hired house and we'll just check and see if you've really turned around. The father ran out and embraced him. This is receiving the father's love. He came to his father and he said, Father, no, I don't even deserve to be your son. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy. But the father said, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, and let's eat and just have a party. For this my son was dead, and he's alive again. Now the elder son was in the field. You see, there's always the younger sons who wreck their lives and there's the elder sons who work for the father as a servant and they never experience the father's love either. And so he comes home and he's angry that his dad showed his, uh, his brother compassion and he wouldn't even go in there. The father had to go out and tell him, son, everything, the, the son accused him, said, you never let me make merry with my friends and the father said, all I have was dying. You never want, you never asked for it. You never received it. You worked for me as, for us, as a servant. You worked for me as a hireling. And you're my son. All mine is thine, he said. And the elder son couldn't grasp that. Don't have an elder son mentality. The father loves you. Here's a son who sinned and received the father's love. And here's a son who hardly ever sinned, who did good. And he could not receive the father's love. That's an incredible, that's an incredible picture. So why can't some of his children experience the father's love? Why? There's many reasons why. If we're talking of 
sinners. They don't know the magnitude of their sin, and that's why they can't come to Christ. You see, Jesus is only the answer if you know the question. And most people don't know the question. They don't know that they are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. They don't know that they are rotten sinners, corrupt, and deserve the hottest seat in hell. They don't, they don't, they don't realize that. I talked to a friend of mine, and uh, he, he clearly uh, said, you know, I, I believe in this entity up there, this God, but the, this Jesus, no, I don't, I don't believe in that. I, I can't, I can't. But this, I, there, there's a power. I mean, I'm an intellect, and I know there's a power that, that, that definitely is, um, is out there, because what we see here is not possible to just exist by itself. So he was intelligent enough to believe that. But then he said, don't you want to get to know him? What if he is the God of the Bible? And he said, well, if this power, he called it a power, if this power um, it really is going to reward me good and bad, I believe I've been a good enough person that if, when I'm going to appear before him, he's going to accept me because I've been a good enough person. And I said, man, that is a terrible, you are living a dangerous life. You are living a dangerous life. I told him, you can know that you, that you, and it's a win-win for this life and the life to come. You are playing Russian roulette with only two bullets. You are going to go there. You want to go there thinking, hoping he's going to accept you. And I could tell he was a sinner because he was a sinner. <laughs> Just like all men are. They are sinners and sinful. So why can't they experience the Father's love? God's children have various hang-ups and hang-outs and problems. And so they have an issue realize, believing God is love. As you go back to the questions I, I asked right at the beginning. So they, we have, uh, uh, they don't understand what God is doing in their lives. And so they have a hard time grasping his love. Sometimes he puts us through a deep valley of pain. Sometimes he puts us through testing and he grinds us to powder. And we have a hard time connecting the dots, thinking that's love. But I look back to the times he ground me into powder and it was nothing but love. But it's hard to tell that to a Christian going through those trials. It's hard to, to tell him that God loves you. And even if you do, it might sound hollow. You know, God loves you. It's like, it's like the right thing to say, but it really doesn't mean anything. So they take issue with life's trials and with, with life's tests and with life's tribulation and, 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 and tailspins. You know, they fail to see him in their love, in their trials, uh, in their depression, in their shame and in their guilt even. And even in their mess or maybe even addictions. They can't see God. But it's his love that's trying to draw us unto himself. It's trying to give us, make us to see the futility of a life without him. It's trying to make us to see you've been paddling your own canoe here and, all you, and that's all you got out of it. Why don't you just give me the oars? Why don't you just move over and let me take the, the, the driver's seat here? Why don't you let me fly this airplane? Why don't you just let me in? You've been running your own life, but I just want to teach you you know, I'm, I'm keeping some things from you because I know they'll destroy you. But 
It is my love that's doing it. But we just want God to get us out of the mess so that what? So that we can continue down the road we've gone before. Have you ever prayed? Oh, Lord, just forgive me this one time or just forgive me once again or just get me out of this mess once more and I'm going to serve you. I'm not going to hear from your path. How long did that last? It's like a New Year's resolution. That lasts about four days. That's about right, about the right, right amount of time. We just want to resume our life, but God knows what we need, not what we want. And until we know that all things work together for those who love God, we will be wrestling with God tooth and nail all the way through. Until we know and are fully persuaded in our minds that God is love and he does not do anything to us to harm us, we waste our lives fighting God, resisting him to the the, uh, tooth and nail. And then we wonder why doesn't he love us? Why doesn't he draw us? Why, does, why can't I experience his goodness? Well, get off your high horse. Give God the reins. Stop trying to run your own life. Give your idols up. You have an idol in your heart. That's probably why. So we chafe and we squirm at those issues, often blaming others. And here's the good thing, here's the, here's the, the interesting thing about God. When he puts us in the squeeze, when he lets life circumstances, whether it's through, through parents or managers or bosses or, or co-workers or relatives or, or, or whatever, whatever a hardship comes, God, he just plays games with us. He makes it so easy for us to point the finger and blame others. Doesn't he? Blame others for our problems. And all the while he's just trying to get your attention. He's just using this person to get your attention as his child. We think it's God's duty to bless us. Be that Santa Claus. Give us a good life. Solve our problems. Because, hey, we're Christians. You know, he, he, he owes us a good life. We're Christians. He wants, he wants to fill heaven with us, doesn't he? No. God wants you to be a vessel down here that can be a little bit of heaven on this earth. And he can't do it if you're full of yourself. He can't do it. There's no room for God to shine through your life if we're full of ourselves. So he has to break us and humble us and that's his love. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's what he does. So he allows friends and relatives and in-laws and outlaws and authorities and husbands and wives and co-workers and finances and you name it to shape us and mold us and break us. Praise God for that kind of work. To break our independence and our pride and our ego, our selfishness, our laziness, till we cry out, Lord, I surrender all. Until he does that, his love is only a theory in our minds. We know he is love, but we don't know it down here. And to know, and here's the difference between knowing God's love up here and down here. I should have brought a picture. If I would show you a picture of a pizza when you haven't eaten for 12 hours, 
you would want to eat the paper. You know, one that's really dripping with cheese and good condiments and it just tastes so, so awesome. I'll show you a picture of that pizza. That's knowing God's love up here. But you actually eating that pizza, that's experiencing God's love. That's the difference. When you, have, when you handle the real pizza, not that God's a pizza, okay? Don't, get me into, don't, take, don't try to take that apart, please. <laughs> it's, just, it's the difference. It's the difference between seeing something as a picture and actually handling it in real life. So, how does it work? How can we receive the Father's love? How does, does man receive the Father's love? There's many ways. One of them is, I, I, I definitely didn't put them all down. Give your idols up. Believe that the, it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Believe that. Never doubt it for a second. It's God's goodness that leaves, leads us to repentance. When we are honest before God, when we are broken before Him, we repent, we stop trying to run our own lives, then we are candidates for receiving the Father's love. Because in all reality, our life is not ours anyway. Remember, those of us who subscribe to Christ, we are bought with a price. And when I buy something, who does it belong to? It belongs to me. God bought you. You belong to Him. You're His possession. You running your life when He bought you is an affront to Him. He bought you. He bought us. So, if you have received the Father's love, I have this list to close here. If you have received the Father's love, I want to give you some signs that you can use for yourself and for others. Might go too fast for you to write them all down. But if you have received the Father's love, the first thing you will be able to do is you will be able to forgive yourself. Why? Because He forgave you. You're His child. Some people can't forgive themselves for a failure. Even after they've repented. Because they don't know the Father's love. They think they can now, if they repent and pine away and do penance more and more and try to undo the bad, that, that God's going to now show more compassion to them. That's about the biggest insult you can give to God. That's like say, you say, okay, Father, um, your son Jesus died for my past sins. Uh, right now I have to work off my own sins. And Jesus perfected forever them that are being made holy. Don't insult the grace of Christ. If Christ forgives you, forgive yourself. Then you receive the Father's love. If you receive the Father's love, you will love yourself and accept yourself as you are. You are valuable. God purchased you. There must be some value in you. You're not a piece of protoplasma that washed up on the beach 5.6 million years ago, billion. 
You are created in God's image for the glory of God and you belong to God. You have worth and you have value. And so you accept yourself and you love yourself because he accepted you unconditionally. Only then can you receive the Father's love. When you experience the Father's love, you will be awestruck that he saw something in you Worth saving. Colossians 1.21, it is written, When we were enemies by wicked works, Christ died for us and accepted us as his own. You will be awestruck. How could, and, and when I fully know my sin, who I really am without Christ, I am amazed every single day at that what God made out of this person. I am amazed at it. And it just magnifies God in my life. You will not, if you, if, if, uh, you experience, when you have received the Father's love, you will not feel like an orphan, thinking you need to prove yourself. You will be a son, and you will be able to cry, or a daughter, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 6. When you have received the Father's love, you will no longer feel shame and guilt for your past because he has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. If you are a son or a daughter and you have received the Father's love, you will want to serve him and love him as his child. You will desire to serve him and love him as his child. If you are a son or a daughter, you will want others to get to know the Father. You will. If, you're a, if you have received the Father's love, you will embrace and accept His discipline. Because you know that all things work together for good to those who love God. You will embrace His discipline. You will be, because Hebrews 12, what father is He that does not discipline the Son? You will receive the discipline. If he spanks you, you will say, thank you. If he lets you run into the wall headlong, you're going to say, thank you, Father, I need the debt. And not blame others. In John, 1 John 5, 1, when you receive the Father's love, you will love the people of God and the family of God. 1 John 5, 1 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone that loveth him that beget loveth him also that is begotten. We no longer carry animosity against the family of God. And another powerful one is this one. When you receive the Father's love and that I still can't get over that and I still see it so prevalent in Christendom every, almost everywhere I go. And it's, not, and it's not absent here. If you receive the Father's love, you will no longer feel judgmental or critical or look down on other people. Because you know what God has forgiven you. And I have a problem to this day with people who do that. There's something missing. They do not receive the Father's love and so they're always critical of others. They always find something to judge. They're under, you know, you know they're, not, they're not really 
you know, they're not Christians yet, or they're not, they're not right with God. If we receive the Father's love, there's no room for a religious spirit. There is no room in our hearts. Because I know who I am, and I know what I've been delivered from. And therefore, I can look at people that are not like me, I can look at some of the worst sinners, and I can say, there goes me, if I accept for grace. Because every possible sin that ever could have been committed, I have committed. If not in real life, in the mind. That's the human being. And if we're honest about that, what God did in my heart, what He do, can do in your heart, is nothing short of a miracle. Remember that woman that went to Simon's house? Did she receive Christ's love? He went in there weeping, washing his feet with her tears, drying him with her hair. And Jesus let her. And Simon, so righteous, so holy. If this man were a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. Boy, Jesus put him in his place. This woman received much because she loved much. She received all of Christ's love and he said to her, go in peace, daughter. Go and sin no more. You know how happy that woman was when she walked out of there? You know how cleansed she felt when she walked out of there? She was a prostitute. And Simon was sitting there in his religious self-righteousness and could not receive from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the most beautiful person that ever walked the face of this earth. He could not receive any of that love. So brothers and sisters, young people, our Father is a heavenly Father. He's a loving Father. He knows what we need. He knows what's going to bring us peace and blessing. He knows our plans and our attitudes and our ambitions. He knows what it needs to get us there. Trust Him. Believe Him. Come before Him. And He loves us too much to allow us. You see, God accepts us as we are. But He loves us too much to keep, make us stay where we are. Praise God. Praise the Lord that He doesn't let us stay where we are. Praise the Lord He wants to grow us up and into something more beautiful and, and, and better. Therefore, He lets us run into problems, blockades, and walls to show us how much we need Him. To draw us unto Himself and away from ourselves to make us see what's really important in life. To help us embrace His wonderful grace. We can't do it. Unless we learn what it means to receive the Father's love. And so the verse in Romans 8, I'm going to repeat it. I said it here a couple days ago. I'm going to say it again. Romans 8, 35. You know it by heart. Well, you should know it by heart. I should too, by the way. <clears throat> and I do. I just don't want to make, I just want to make sure I don't miss one sentence here. I am persuaded. Verse 38. I am persuaded. What does persuaded mean? 
It's settled. That's a done deal. It's settled. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Young people, is there somebody who wants to receive the love of God? Come as you are. Hold nothing back. Let the Lord receive you. Let His love touch your heart. You've heard heart preaching. Now you've heard God's drawing you with love. That's the God I serve. That's the God you you can serve. You have. Are you longing for that Father's love? Longing for that embrace? Come as you are. With a heart that is sick and tired of running and trying and fighting. Be real. Whoever you are, come. Jesus said, whoever comes to me will I in no wise cast out. And I'm going to do an altar call. If somebody wants to come forward, let's pray. Oh God, what a wonderful God you are. What an amazing love you have shed abroad in our hearts to give us Jesus, to take the shame and the guilt and the stoniness of our hearts away and give us a heart of flesh. And melt the hardness and the coldness that is in the human life by, and by your love towards us. Oh God, how wonderful is, is your ways. How wonderful your truths are. And how deeply they penetrate into the innermost parts of our being. Thank you, Father, for this amazing love that you have shed abroad in our hearts. Lord, I pray that each one here in this room can embrace that love. I pray that everyone who wants to, that, 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 can, that has an issue or a question about you that is hurting and that it cannot receive your love, I pray, Lord, that you lay them on their heart, that they, that they come as they are before your throne of grace. For you are an amazing God, full of love, full of goodness, able to help us and heal us to the uttermost. Thank you, dear God. We love you and we just pray that this time will will be a real uh, awakening and a turning point in everyone of these young people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen.